0: Hi, Megan Bob here. I just wanted to give you a content warning that sexual assault is discussed in this episode. Elle Collins does warn about it. But I also wanted to give you a warning up front if you're just not ready to go there today, which is totally fine. It starts about 3230 in the minute mark. And then it wraps up about 3720 in the minute mark. That is a rough estimate because of I don't know how long this thing is, but that should be pretty close and should give you a good buffer of how long it is. So Anyway, I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode, and I hope you're having a lovely whenever you're listening to this. All right, bye! I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling.
1: And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start.
0: And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time.
1: This week... We are talking about NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way. Introductions are made, heads are shaved, there's pathos all over everything. And for the second time, L Collins is here to join us. Welcome to episode sixty-nine of the Nice Wrestling, the Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. You
2: fucking idiot!
0: I just love you so much. Okay, all right.
1: Last episode, Enzo and Cass assaulted a poodle with shaving cream or whatever. But more importantly, it finished setting up the second ever NXT takeover, which is the show that we are here to discuss today. There is a ton to talk about on this show. It's long. It's eventful. There are six matches, one major debut segment, and just so many video packages, you all. It's a lot to get to. It's a lot to process. And we're so pleased to have Elle Collins back with us to help us out. Elle, thank you again so much for coming on. Oh, it's it's
3: always a pleasure to be on other people's podcasts.
0: (laughs) Isn't it? It's the fucking greatest. I'm so glad we can, like, give you that delicious drug.
1: <laughs> Elle is a, uh, a repeat guest. We've had them on before. Uh, so we're not going to do our usual thing where we ask, you know, you about uh, your history with NXT and professional wrestling. Because you can go back and listen to episode nine, I believe, to uh, yeah. hear L talk about that. I did have one question for you. I think Bob probably has one or two as well. But I wanted yes. to ask you one thing about this show in particular. Okay. Were you aware of it as it was happening? Because if... I'm not mistaken this is prior to your like wrestling
3: fandom right it is this is about six months before I started watching wrestling okay Whoa. Uh, now before when I was on it was like a couple of years before I started watching wrestling so it's interesting to watch this show and a lot of the people who were around when I started watching are there
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
3: everything is pretty similar to when I was first watching NXT but I had never actually seen this before.
1: Yeah, the reason I ask is because I remember this show being talked about like I remember listening to War and Ajax and like they did an episode talking about this show.
3: I definitely remember that around this time, because I was starting to get interested in wrestling. I was sort of I was curious about wrestling for like a year or two before I actually like worked up to watching it. Sure. And I definitely remember starting to hear about NXT. I remember Sometime in 2014, I don't remember exactly when, listening to an episode, not of War Rocket Ajax, actually, but of uh, the podcast Chris Sims did about Sailor Moon. Oh, uh, oh uh, Sailor, Sailor Business. Sailor Business, yeah. Listening to that podcast, and someone wrote in a question that was like, cast the Sailor Scouts using uh, female wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And he used entirely uh, uh, women from NXT. Oh, I love it. I know Charlotte was definitely Jupiter I mean, um, that makes okay. sense. But uh, but yeah, and so I remember thinking, oh, this sounds really interesting. And I'd never really heard people talking. And of course, this is sort of the change in wrestling that happened because of NXT. But when I'd heard people talking about wrestling before that, they were almost never talking about women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was when I started hearing about, oh, here's these women wrestlers who are really good. And they're on this show called NXT. And, you know, that eventually led to me watching it. And eventually everything else.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now you're trapped down here with
2: us.
0: I am curious about, if you have been watching wrestling in the past amorphous time, what are some of the top recent matches that you've seen like from anywhere? Just any that stick out. I'm just curious.
3: Um, well, right now, I'm really only watching uh, AEW. When mm-hmm. I was on before, I was uh, writing about wrestling professionally, and I'm no longer doing that. Mm-hmm. Now I can actually choose what I watch and... I eventually decided I didn't want to be watching WWE anymore because it was making me more unhappy than happy. So, I watch AEW primarily and uh, it has its flaws, but I really enjoy it. Mm. It puts on good shows. Yeah. Recently, well, very recently, uh, I'm really into what's going on with uh, Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez. Mm-hmm. I heard that was a great match. Now I think maybe they're going to be be friends and team up based on things that mm-hmm. happened after that match. So Please, that's yes. also exciting. And everything Brian Danielson is doing is just
0: God the damn. best
3: wrestling there is.
0: I didn't know he was so good. I had never seen him do a real wrestle until I saw him. And then it was like, wait, I texted <laughs> Miles like, wait a second. Is he the, just the best? And he's like, yes, he is actually probably canonically the best yeah, at wrestling. He's and
3: like, pretty much just the best, yes. Yeah. And I, I didn't like Daniel Bryan that much because even when he was a babyface on WWE, he was always a heel on Total Divas.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, that would be hard. There was
3: one uh, episode where he like slut-shamed his wife for wearing skimpy <gasps> clothing and then told her they were going to start pooping in a bucket in the shed. <laughs> uh, fuck. <laughs> the fuck? Well, okay, fuck. technically, he had bought a compost toilet, but what oh, that actually amounts yeah. to <laughs> is pooping in a bucket in the shed. <laughs> Jesus. But, you know, now, told Leva's is, is a few years ago, plus the wrestling he's doing is just so much better that it makes up for it in a way mm. that... Uh, Daniel Bryan's wrestling never did.
0: Did you still also feel that way about NXT UK? I feel like NXT UK is a weird little island where, for the most part, things are okay, but it is weird.
3: I have not been watching NXT UK, and it's not because I I don't think it's a good show, although I haven't watched it long enough that, may, you know, I assume it's still a good show because it has Mako Satamura on it. Right. She's yeah.
0: fucking cool. Yeah, no, there's still good still There good was shit. a time
3: when it was my favorite WWE show, and it probably still would be. It's just hard to make time to watch it because nobody's ever talking about it and it comes on 3 p.m. on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Elle is going to hang out with us while we go through
1: Bob's Breakdown. Uh, They will also join us for the Sight Sounds and Feels of Pro Wrestling and help us award the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bits. Because we have a guest today, we won't be doing Wrestling Term of the Week or the Cheap Pop Quiz, but we will close out with another edition of Guess the Gimmick. Now that said... We do have to get the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. Bob currently has seven points, which means that a clean sweep will earn them another romance novel bonus episode. Nice. There's always a chance, Bob. I know you're not confident ever about your abilities to get the sweeps.
0: No, I got like a sweep once and then never again.
1: Question number one. At TakeOver, we will see another instance of a former jobber, or possibly two, debuting in the form they will be primarily known for in NXT. Which jobber would that be? Is it A, Baron Corbin, B, Steve Cutler, C, Elias Sampson, D, Baron Corbin and Steve Cutler as a tag team, or E, Steve Cutler and Elias Sampson as a tag team? Bob, you stuck with your principles. I'm very proud of you. You said you (laughs) were going to keep picking Baron Corbin until it actually happened. Yes. I thought maybe the, the tag team might throw a wrench in the works or anything, but you didn't fall for it. You chose Baron Corbin, and that was correct.
0: Yeah! Now I have to choose. I guess from now on, the hill I'm going to die on is Elias Sampson.
1: Question number two. Who gets their head shaved at NXT TakeOver? Is it A, Enzo Amore, B, Sylvester Laforte, C, Big Cass, D, Marcus Louis, or E, Nobody? Bob? Yes. You selected D, Marcus Louis. I I don't know why, but you Uh did so close. And you were correct. Yes. It's number two. Question number three. Time to pick the winners of some takeover matches. Once again, we did only the championship matches for this question. I asked Bob who won the following three contests. Sin Cara and Kalisto versus the Ascension. Charlotte versus Bailey and Adrian Neville versus Tyson Kidd, Tyler Breeze and Sami Zayn. Bob's choices were Sin Cara and Kalisto, Charlotte And Adrian Neville, which means you were correct, which means you got all three, Bob.
0: Fuck, I have to edit an episode, but now I get to make you read another romance novel.
1: Bob, I just want you to know, I went back and looked at some of what was being written about this takeover at the time, Mm -hmm. and fucking nobody got all that shit right. (laughs)
0: Like
1: most people, there were like high profile writers at the time predicting it the exact opposite way of the way it went, and you nailed all three of them. So congratulations, Bob, you did it.
0: Thank you.
1: With that, let's get into Bob's Breakdown.
0: It's Takeover 2. I still know what you did last summer. (laughs) Now, back on May 29th, we saw legendary matches. Adam Rose defeating Camacho. Oh, yeah. The Ascension defeating El Localo and Kalisto. And then we saw some matches that had actual narrative weight. So Zayn taking a loss to Breeze, Charlotte winning the women's belt by defeating Natty, Adrian Neville defeating Tyson Kidd. And so our big matches this time are the Ascension against Kalisto and Simkara, Charlotte versus Bailey, and a fatal four-way for the championship between Zayn, Breeze, Kidd, and Adrian Neville. Question. How successful does this feel to you in terms of long-term storytelling? Like, do these matches for TakeOver 2, to Take 2 Over, feel like <laughs> an appropriate build on last takeover guys i went through so many sequel jokes <laughs> take over to the squeakle take over to but the chud take over to <laughs> the legend of curly's goal some of these i stole blatantly from pub from titan at the defense but uh uh don't tell domain. him that oh he'll know
1: um what was the question <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know that squeakle one yeah okay uh, how does this feel as long-term storytelling right. and do these feel like a real build from the last takeover do they feel right
1: i think so certainly in the case of the final two matches i think absolutely the other matches not as much but i don't know if that was what they were trying to do either the two singles championship matches Felt to me like kind of anchoring the show in the larger narratives of NXT at the time. And the other stuff was fun to varying degrees.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, varying. I, that's a that's accurate. Match one. Lucha, Lucha. Seeing Kara and Kalisto enter in bright red, yellow and blue looking extremely Super Mario color palette. But on them, it does work. There's a sign in the crowd that says Lucha Dragons. So I'm guessing that's what they're going to be called. And then the music from Baby's first metal album hits. And The Ascension comes out with their sandwich board shirts. Those sandwich board shirts are getting thinner and thinner each <laughs> time. Like they're migrating inward until they are only covering the treasure trail at this point. I don't know how they're washing them to achieve that effect. So they get in there. Victor tightens his ponytail. And is like, this is serious. So the bell sounds. There is a vigorous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, chant going as Victor and Sinkata get started. Victor knocks Sinkata off the apron, sending him to the outside, and then tags in Connor like, Babe, would you please go get the trash can? Yeah. <laughs> I know I said I was going to bring it back in, but can you do it? And Connor, like the legendary vampiric life partner he is, is like, no problem, my darkest desire, anything for you. <laughs> and like walks down the steps and just goes and gathers Sin Slams him back first into what has scientifically been proven to be the hardest part. Of right. That. Unless you have a smart ass around, in which case it's the corner post. Connor tosses Sincada into the corner and kicks him. And each time he kicks him, Victor does a, like a metal head bang. Because it's like <laughs> so hot whenever Connor's being hot. He's like, I can't, I can't resist. Victor takes over and grounds Sincada getting right up in his neck. Like you, If you go back and watch it, he is up in there. Practically sniffing and being like, oh, negative? Is that, is that your deal? <laughs> Connor's in again. And we have come to the part of the match where it's all about, can Sinkata crawl 10 feet? And, you know, there are really only seven stories in the world. This is one of them. Can someone crawl 10 feet and touch someone else? So, Sinkata gets railroaded back into vampire territory by Connor. And he does it by locking his shoulders against Sinkata's shoulders and then just pushes like it's that football thing. That looks like shitty farm equipment, and you got to shove it during practice to get better at.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, de- de- yeah. I've heard of defense? that. Defense, offense. I don't know. I do watch football, but I don't know.
0: Oh, okay. I completely thought you were going to jump in there and go like, "Oh, that's called the." No, no.
1: I no. I I like watching games. I don't necessarily go like into oh, the trading you don't sequences. Watch practice? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actual athleticism doesn't interest me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> only performative athleticism
0: that's right amen well sincara doesn't give a single frick about football and somersaults over connor's back and tagged to Kalisto, who comes at the now tagged in victor like it's supermarket sweeps and victor is all of the hams and caviar <laughs> get it in the cart Kalisto. <laughs> Victor is grounded repeatedly and then grabs Kalisto for a powerbomb. But Kalisto vaults over and uses his momentum to flip Victor onto his ass and pin him. Connor rushes the ring to break it up before the three count. And it's just chaos now. The Ascension are spilled to the outside but are subjected to airborne attacks by both Kalisto and then Sincata. Kalisto gets Victor back in the ring and it looks like he might do a cool thing. But Victor spoils it and then takes him out with a forearm across the chest. Wide shot we can see Connor in the opposite corner. This is the prelude to the fall of man. They're just waiting for Callisto to stand, but Sincata, he takes out Connor with a kick to the head before he can do the thing. Connor is knocked to the outside and Victor rushes to the ropes, flooring Sincata for his trespasses against his soulmate, Connor. But it is Callisto's time to shine. He does Salida del Sol on Victor, bringing his head to the mat and taking the three count. Lucha Dragons are our new champions! Yeah, they have their name! They do! And can you believe these beautiful luchadores beat powerhouses like Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy to be here? (laughs) Fucking legends. I want to say, I love a public hot mess. This tournament has been a public hot mess that has just been openly in shambles from the jump.
1: By because they decided they were gonna announce a tag team tournament and then realized they didn't have any tag teams?
0: Yeah, primarily that. Yeah. Do you feel though that this win for Sincata and Kalisto felt important enough given the weird and uneven nature of this tournament leading up to it, like, at all.
1: I don't think the tournament was the problem. I think the problem is just that the Ascension have spent the past 365 days beating jobbers <laughs> and have, I'm- like, had no feuds or or anything, really. Like, it was so weird. It was so weird later in the show, because they show up again later and start shit with somebody, we'll talk about it. It was so weird to see them in a storyline, it's like the Ascension don't yeah. get storylines. They just come out and beat jobbers in 30 seconds. That's all they do. <laughs> so you can talk yourself into it being a big moment. Like you can sort of trick your brain, suspend your disbelief enough to be like, oh, shit, they beat the fucking <laughs> champions who have been reigning for over a year. And I think it can you can make it feel that way. If you interrogate that thought for 10 seconds, it falls apart. But that's professional oh, no. wrestling for you. Well,
3: <laughs> you know, having not watched any of the buildup, I thought it felt like a big moment. Yeah, Uh, especially like, I always really liked the well, I always really liked Kalisto. Sin Cara is is fine when he's not hurting himself (laughs) or getting in fights backstage. But uh, and I never much cared for the Ascension. So I really enjoyed watching that initial victory and seeing them become both NXT champions and, you know, officially the Lucia Dragons. Because when they came out, I was like, oh, it's the Lucha Dragons. And then they were like, "Right, Kalisto and Sin Cara. And I was like, oh, they're not the Lucha Dragons yet. But then by the end, they were.
0: <laughs> I know. It was like a weird Pokemon level up that they achieved during the thing. And then they got a name. I didn't know that's how wrestling would work sometimes. Also, yeah.
3: and I say this as a big fan of Kalisto. You know, lots of luchadores are very good at being the underdog in the ring. And he is. But... Kalisto is also the underdog when you put a mic in front of him. You're just rooting for him to do okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did a good job. He did a good enough so job bad. here. I thought it was yeah. fun. So, I have a crucial question for you both about just your preferences in whenever it comes to wrestling, eh, kind of organizationally. Do you have a preference when presented with slapdash weird shit versus slick and well organized shit? Or do you want a real mix of both?
3: I think I want a mix of
1: both. I think that's probably the right answer. I I have a tendency in media in general to prefer, like, the more polished, the more highly produced, professional-looking shit. I just, just, like, I... Sharon and I can never choose a movie to watch because I want to watch Oscar winners, usually. Or, like, you know, or, like,
0: not Oscar
3: winners, but, like, I want to watch movies that that I think are good.
0: Un Chien Andalou, something
3: like (laughs) that. No, no, no. Nobody wants to watch Un Chien Andalou.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is a true fact.
1: But Sharon is like, let's watch this movie that's legendary for being terrible. And I'm like, but Why? And so oh, I will always kind of have a slight leading toward more polished shit, but I have really learned, and honestly, like, not this is not to score points or anything, because she's not going to listen to this, honestly, as a partially as a result of my marriage, I've kind of grown to appreciate yeah. trashy shit, and also, Bob, like, doing this podcast with you for two years or however long it's been, like, you really do help me appreciate things that are fucking dumb, <laughs> and yes. I... I Now I think I'm at a point with wrestling especially where I'm like, if you're not giving me some fucking dumb shit, then what, what are we doing here?
0: I'm not going to say that the tag team tournament was the highlight for me. It was not, mm. but it gave me a lot of joy because it was like, what mistakes are we going to make this <laughs> week? And I love that feeling of going, oh, it's going to be bad, but who knows in what way? Oh, what a fucking gift.
1: You mentioned Blake and Murphy, and just the fact that Blake and Murphy became a tag team because they needed teams. Like, they weren't a tag team before, and they were, and they were like, all right, time for the next team in the number one contenders tag team tournament. These fucking jobbers! And you're like, "Oh my well, all right, God. sure, uh, they have Dubstep now, great, <laughs> let's
3: The the most amazing thing about Blake and Murphy and how haphazard their joining was, and obviously I don't want to give away spoilers about the future of NXT, but the most amazing thing about Blake and Murphy is who became the biggest star out of that tag team. Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. I'm going to put a pin in that. Well, don't worry. I'll forget so that it will not be a thing (laughs) that I recall later on. Okay. So, Renee interviews the lucha dragons for a second but it's basically a real we're going to disneyland kind of thing because they can barely fucking breathe and i was like why would you interview them they just did like 15 minutes of hit that seems like the worst time to interview somebody but i don't is that common in wrestling i think it's
3: common in sports yeah
0: it's i think that's that's why
3: they do it in wrestling is because it feels sports like yeah
0: it's been a long time since i watched sports do they really do it as soon as the game's over? Yeah. Like, do they just go, are you, what? That's, who's thinking about how the game went? You're just going like, oh, thank God I'm done running. Surely that's what no, they're No, they'll,
1: they'll go over to somebody, they'll go over to somebody who literally just like missed a game-winning shot in basketball <gasps> or whatever to like lose the championship and be like, how does this make you feel? Jesus. <laughs> Journalists are <That's>... sadists.
0: <laughs> There's an extremely awkward moment in which Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton look very seriously into the camera <laughs> and acknowledge that this, I know, that this takeover is taking place on September 11th. Yep. We can't see the crowd. But they don't know that this is happening. They are almost certainly doing the wave. Yes. Because you can hear the, <laughs> yeah. whoa! <laughs> yeah, I heard We're that We're so too. sorry for all those who, whoa! <laughs> And you're just like... Oh my god. You sh- why didn't you reshoot that? If it was that important, do you fucking reshoot it? Can I ask a
3: question about the commentary desk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did Tom Phillips recently lose a hair versus hair match before this?
0: <laughs> His look is okay. questionable
3: at this time.
0: Okay. I, I you are so right. I cuz every time I I remember a Tom Phillips having like you know, some anchor hair, but I looked back and in the past couple of episodes, like the past couple of months, he has just got a straight up shaved all over at a three or a two. And it looks like he got gum in his hair and this is what they had to do. (laughs) It's not horrible, but it's just very like, this is not a haircut. This is like a tactical (laughs) move. I miss Brad Maddox's beautiful hair.
1: Yeah, me too. I miss Brad Maddox in general. I never thought I'd say that as many times as I have since he left, but like, God, I miss him. quick note on the announcing. I don't think you mentioned who the commentary team was for this show, Bob.
0: You're right. I didn't mention. The commentary team is Byron Saxton, Tom Phillips, and Renee Young.
1: Yeah, which honestly I thought was a decent combo over the course of the episode. Regarding the September 11th thing, I just want to say I am so glad that that was it. That we, I was really yes. worried that oh we were gonna God. have to sit Thank through some kind of video package yeah. about it. And I was really happy that it was like, they look, they mentioned it. They acknowledged that it was September 11th. They said they were sorry about the victims who died that day. We're moving on. That is how you handle it. Thank you.
0: Match two. So, this is a palate cleanser to prepare us for the next course in this feast, I take mm. it, because it is CJ Parker coming to the ring to face someone already in the ring baron corbin now i met baron corbin first at a house show or whatever the fuck you want to call it in el paso and he was being king corbin so that's the first time i saw him Uh, this is clearly a very different incarnation rough leather vest lots of tats Corey graves was promising scuzzy punk club bathroom fuck I feel like Baron Corbin's look is saying, oh, I can deliver on the scuzzy punk club Mm. bathroom funk. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I am curious about your fanfic, sir. My first thought upon
3: seeing these two opponents was that this was clearly uh, a match for the title of worst guy in your college dorm.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So this is a pretty squashful match and lasts about 50 seconds corbin delivers a ddt that involves swinging cj parker like a hanging tavern sign in a D village <laughs> before knocking his noggin to the mat and pinning him for the win okay the end of this match however i questions people were kind of into it they were like baron corbin or whatever
2: hmm.
0: clearly he's been in dark matches because they know who he is why did they not give him an entrance? It feels like having C.J. Parker lose to someone who is deliberately positioned as just some guy what we found out back <laughs> is so awful. They're like, fuck you, C.J. Parker.
1: Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, there's definitely a lot of fuck you, C.J. Parker involved. Having this kind of thing done to you and knowing how much longer he has in NXT, I, I don't think... Anybody backstage is behind the guy. Mm. Secondly, I would want to say we don't watch the pre-show of any of these takeover events because it's there's usually not much there to talk about. And I don't want to sit through it. But I will say that on the pre-show, there was apparently a brief video of like Baron Corbin arriving on a motorcycle. So that's probably a thing the crowd saw.
0: Oh, oh, I watched it on Hulu. I should have watched it on the network. Well,
1: no, it's not there either way. You you, you have oh, to okay. watch the you have to watch the pre show, which is like an hour show that they do before the event.
0: Oh, oh, fuck and, that. Um
1: If there's ever any matches on a pre show, maybe we can watch the pre show later in NXT's history. What they actually do is they put on takeover, and then the next episode of NXT is usually the matches that happened on the pre show. So you just like oh, we, that's we can cool. just cover it like we would a normal episode. But there are no matches on this stuff. There's just kind of like it'll show all the video packages from the upcoming show. The wrestlers will come out and like interact with Alex Riley for a few minutes. You know, that kind of (laughs) thing.
0: Just as a penance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, they deserve it. (laughs) But I do think I had forgotten that they introduced Corbin this way. I thought that I could I would have sworn to you. That he came out with his, like, full entrance and everything the first time he showed up at TakeOver. But that is not the case. I think you're kind of meant to think of him as a jobber. Like, I think he's been a jobber before. We've seen him in that capacity. He's in a different outfit now, which indicates his non-jobber status to a certain extent. Because he's not wearing, like, regular-ass trunks like he usually does. Yeah. But I think you're meant to be like, okay, this is a CJ Parker squash match and they're swerving you. It's like, oh shit, no, actually mm. it's a Baron Corbin squash match. And I love the way he just like hits that move, which is not technically a DDT Bob, but it's fine. It's, I don't no. I don't know what it is, and it's no it's not a DDT. Um <laughs> he hits that and he just bails. <laughs>
0: I love that he just leaves
1: immediately.
0: <laughs> I did appreciate that. I thought that was a good
1: touch. But I think that's what they're doing. I think you're meant to sort of be to think that one thing is happening and then they're they're switching it up on you. That's my charitable okay. guess.
0: Match three hair versus hair. All right. What was the first hair versus hair match you ever saw? L
3: Not sure. I okay. was thinking about it. I was having a really hard time coming up with a hair versus hair match that I've seen. I've seen a number of mask versus hair matches mm-hmm. and some mask versus oh. mask matches, but I couldn't think of a hair versus
1: hair. I definitely remember my first hair versus hair match because it was pretty early in my introduction to wrestling because it was in like 2002. It was edge and Kurt angle. It was when Kurt shaved his head bald and is remembered by many as having always been bald. But I remember the match where edge beat him uh, remarkably similar to this one, although significantly better, uh, but similar in that <laughs> edge beat him with a roll up and Kurt tried to get away and, and ran backstage and edge had to chase him. But eventually edge caught him and like got him in a sleeper hold. <laughs>
2: And dragged him, oh, dragged him to like the no. barber chair and
1: shaved his head right there on the stage. Uh, that was my wow. first one, generally remembered as being one of the better hair okay. versus hair matches.
0: So we see a pristine red barber's chair and lingering shots of an electric razor. The Legionnaires come out. Sylvester Lafour's outfit looks like if Jean Paul Gaultier designed the Olympic outfits for France, which who knows may have done at one point. Marcus Louis is dressed. Like a French stereotype. Yes. It's fitted black pants, a tight black and white stripey shirt. It is honestly weird to me that he is not wearing a beret and a string of onions around his neck.
1: Uh, like t- Ten years earlier, he would have been.
0: He is doing like low-key mime cosplay, like serving mime realness right now. We revisit the hair salon bit with Fifi the Poodle getting sloshed with Nair. And honestly... I didn't clock it at the time. Props to Fifi, who no-sold the shit out of that whole thing. <laughs> that dog didn't fucking blink. I'm just like, yeah, I don't fucking care. Whatever. Wanna... I've been
1: meaning to cut this back lately anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, that dog's a hero. Now Enzo and Cass come out, and Enzo looks like he's had his abs bronzed. Well, folks, I do not talk about what Enzo's doing with his hair often enough, but we need to. All right. <laughs> It is a ponyhawk. I think I have said that before, but yes. short mohawk on top, long, meager ponytail in the back. <laughs> the sides of his head are dyed with detailed leopard pattern. Detailed. What you're picturing is a basic version of this. It is not. <laughs> there is color within color. It is a visual affront and you instantly want to shave it off or you want to see it on a cute queer person. But whatever you want, it is not this.
3: I mean, I have a lot to say about Enzo. I'm just not sure when I should say it. You
0: know what? Now, go for it.
3: I fucking despise Enzo Amore.
0: Mm. As far as I know, that's the right call.
3: As a a wrestler and a human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's such a piece of garbage that he actually made me dislike everyone else in the world more. Well, not everyone else in the world the majority of men in wrestling fandom. Mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And maybe this is too much to go into, but I'm going to go into it anyway. Content warning for those who can't guess, I, there is going to be mention of sexual assault in, mm-hmm. in this rant that I'm about to go on. Uh, so I was writing about wrestling professionally uh, for uh, UpRocks when when with spandex was still a thing, when Enzo uh, Mori was charged with sexual assault. Uh, Mm -hmm. and subsequently uh, fired by WWE. One of the reasons given for why he was fired is because he knew he was under investigation by the police uh, Mm. and did not inform his employers. Whoa! Uh, Which I don't think uh, speaks well of him, nor does anything else in the story. Um, No. And I wrote the initial article... Uh, about what, you know, had allegedly happened and what the whole story was. And, you know, and you really want to get that shit right. So I Mm -hmm. did research of my own and like looked into it in depth and uh, became very convinced that he was guilty, which I continue to be. The charges Mm -hmm. were eventually dismissed, but we all know that that doesn't mean you're innocent, especially in sexual assault cases. And a lot of people felt differently about that. Mm. Um, you know, when I say that I was convinced that he was guilty, I guess I'll go into that a little bit. Because, you know, I'm inclined to believe women to begin with. Yeah, That's kind of where I default to. But absolutely, researching it, I became more convinced. And it's not because the woman that he allegedly assaulted was some sort of uh, moral paragon. It was really quite the opposite. It was one of those situations, you know, there are no perfect victims and there shouldn't need to be. Uh, Yeah. And it was obviously a situation of uh, less than savory people who met in a situation involving, like, drinking and drugs and that whole nine yards. But the thing that really convinced Mm -hmm. me was that his accuser did not give a shit about wrestling and did not know who he was.
0: Wow. So the idea... Mm -hmm.
3: You know, and it doesn't make any sense anyway, because, like, no no woman accuses someone of rape because she's, like, out for fame. Because that's oh my that's not God. how the world works. No. No, but certainly, that's how you get doxxed. Certainly someone who doesn't know about wrestling is not going to do that to Enzo Amore because he's just some fucking weirdo. The thing that I realized that when I say that, like, he hurt my opinion of other people. See, the thing is, by the time that happened, nobody in wrestling fandom really liked him anymore. He mm-hmm, had been right. in the uh, the cruiserweight division. He had been the cruiserweight champion, which had previously been like a work rate division where like fans want good wrestlers mm-hmm. who can wrestle well.
0: <laughs>
3: and yeah. so he was like, people were upset that he had that belt. And he was generally very annoying. His gimmick never really worked after uh, the main roster inevitably broke him up with Big Cass. Neither did Big Cass's gimmick, for that matter. It all just sort of fell apart. But the thing is, what I realized after those accusations came out is that there are men in this world, and no shortage of them in wrestling fandom, who are just so inherently misogynist that any man accused of rape— Regardless of what they thought of him before becomes an ally to be defended. Oof. Yeah. And that's rough. That's just yeah. rough, you know? And now, and then he, he released a rap song where he made fun of the whole situation. <gasps> uh, Which like yeah. you can say, like you're allowed to believe that he didn't do it, I suppose, because again, he wasn't convicted and whatever. But I don't know how you're allowed to believe that he's not a scumbag because they're, plenty that he definitely did around that situation, uh, including releasing a rap song, which I believe was called Consensual Penis. Oh, oh,
0: oh, gross. And,
3: uh, you know, not telling WWE that he was being investigated by police for a crime. Uh, Like, he's inarguably a scumbag. And now he's, like, back in wrestling. Now, when he comes up on, like, mainstream wrestling sites, most of the commentary doesn't even bring the stuff up anymore it's like he's it's just all just in the past and now he's just another you know ex-wwe indie wrestler and i just oh my god find the whole thing gross
0: yeah there's a real that problem of like you can just wait it out and then it's kind of cool because like you you wouldn't do that again because you got burned so bad you're not that stupid it's like well you know you get one freebie that we know about Thank you for talking about this, though. Yeah, and
3: the, the thing is, like, I really liked them in NXT, like, before Me too. we knew he was a real-life scumbag. And the thing that I enjoyed about them, they were, like, pushing douchebag so hard that it, like, circled back around to likable.
2: Yeah. But the thing
3: about a gimmick like that is that if you actually are a douchebag, it doesn't right. work. And uh. it's, it's such an
1: important reminder because a few months from this show, a year from this show, they're oh. going to be one of the hottest acts in in NXT. Like, people fucking love them, and I include myself in that account, because I was super into them, too. And, you know, a lot of their shtick is fun. A lot of their shtick can be a good time, and it's easy to get kind of swept up in it, and I think in the lead-up to this takeover, Bob, you and I have appreciated a lot of their work. And it's easier to swallow in some ways, because, especially right now, the dynamic they have, as we've discussed before, is that Enzo is a useless piece of shit. Yes. And... Big Cass, for whatever reason, cares about him and is dragging him along with him and like beating up all the people while Enzo gets like one punch in and then takes a big move and loses or whatever. I want to talk more about this as we go through this match, because I think the way this match goes and how Enzo wins the match is so interesting, but I think it's so important to be reminded. We're going to be in this period for a while. We're a bi weekly show covering NXT in the middle of 2014. It's going to be a while before Enzo and big cast go away. And during that time, they're only going to get more popular. And I just really mm-hmm. appreciate the reminder as we do that they are cast has also had accusations leveled against him and it's just shitty. It's just sucks that like this thing that's supposed to be fun has the fun taken out of it because you know
3: what kind of people they actually are. I will say, as far as getting through this time of them being very popular in NXT on this podcast, you know, pretty soon they will be joined by Carmella regularly. Mm-hmm. And I love Carmella. Like, she's yeah. the one who came out of this, of this trio the best and good for her. I mean, yeah. Yeah. she has uh, fucking terrible taste in men, which continues to be so. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know, but she herself is delightful
0: the bell goes. Enzo is looking more competent than he's ever looked. It was faint praise, but come on. As the commentary team discusses the emotional impact of being denuded of hair with a seriousness that fueled my soul. They were like, can you imagine, can you imagine what that would be like? If somebody, somebody who you didn't ask to shave your head, shaved <laughs> your head? And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Needless to say, Sylvester LeFort. Takes over after a minute or two, and he lands Enzo just a thwacking kick to the upper back. The audience is chanting for Enzo. Renee is claiming that LaFour's hair is ugly, which is a blatant fucking lie. And yeah. Enzo is distracted by Marcus Louis on the outside and turns around to get laid the fuck out by LaFour, which then results in Cass laying out Marcus Louis. LaFour goes to get Enzo. But Enzo sneaks around behind him and does a butt to butt sandwich on him, which the O'Connor roll, as some folks like to call it. <laughs> and I swear to fucking God, Enzo is holding the tights. He's he holding is. The tights. He
1: absolutely is. And nobody mentions it.
0: No, the commentary doesn't mention it. He gets a three count, has officially won this hair match, and then you get close-up of his face, and he's looking like, oh bro, I didn't think that would actually work. (laughs) And LaFour is looking like the world is ending, pleading with the referee, looking with regret at his hair. To the chair, the audience is chanting. LaFour makes a break for it. Cass Lariates him at the bottom of the ramp. His head is going in this bucket of Nair. It's gonna happen. And then, loyal boy Marcus Louis attacks. He pulls LaFour to his feet. And then LaFour's like, Thank you. Thank you so much for saving me. And then he fucking scarpers, leaving Marcus Louis to be beaten by Enzo and Cass. And then the bucket. Marcus Louis has an entire bucket of hair remover slopped on top of his head. And then, with the comedic prowess of Mr. Bean, he stumbles <laughs> off stage with the bucket still on his head. Oh, man. I hate it when people are mean and mean things happen to people. But if you're going to do it, this is the correct way to do it.
1: They show the slow-mo of it and you can see him like doing the thing where he's trying to get the bucket off. But the handle is caught under his chin. Just like masterful work by Marcus <laughs> Louis. <laughs> Which again, not something I thought I would find myself saying.
0: Where does this hair versus hair match rank in the hierarchy of hair versus hair matches? Like, is this a good exemplar of the genre?
1: Yeah, they're all kind of like this. Usually they're better okay. because the wrestlers are better. I mean, Enzo so, yeah. Enzo can't wrestle and Sylvester Lafore has wrestled two matches that we've seen. Like, he's mostly been in our lives as a manager. And so, like... Yeah,
2: I'm, the, ma- the I match like is nothing,
1: which they're usually a little bit more than nothing, but in terms of like how it goes, this is almost always how hair versus hair matches go. This is what okay. they're for. They're for the baby okay. face to humiliate the heel because people like
2: to cheer that for some reason. <laughs>
0: It is like, I'm going, I can't cheer this. This is awful. But that's you, a lot of times in wrestling. I'm like, why are you cheering this? This is bad. And then they bring him back
1: later. And at a certain point, you're like, this is bullying.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. The line between a lot of what happens and bullying is like paper fucking thin.
1: I think it speaks so much to the point you were making earlier, L, which is like, yes, I guess in theory, I could like find a way to get behind this like scrappy asshole who who wins his matches by grabbing the tights, but nobody seems to care. They love him anyway. And then they just engage in like just fucking hazing. And you're supposed to cheer for like, I guess I can get into this. But then if you add to the fact that he actually is a piece of shit, it's hard. It's hard.
0: We cut to some pre-tape stuff with Tyler Breeze that we saw last time, along with parting words. So goddamn good. I was, I was mad. I was mad at my television. Tyler Breeze says, every outfit I wear matches gold. Ah! Mm. Oh, that was such a good line! Cut to live backstage. Breeze is being attended by three women. One of them is rubbing his shoulders. The other two are offering him a selection of his fur vests. One of them is Dana Brooke. He dismisses them because he's incredibly fucking busy, like looking at himself in his phone camera, obviously. So, now we cut to in-ring stuff. It's Daddy. NXT Daddy is here. And he's not just here to be outrageously handsome and wear a suit that actually fits a human body, which is truly a unique skill in the WWE. (laughs) He is here to announce newest signee, Kenta. And we get a package on him and how amazing he is with talking heads from Biggie and Kofi and some clips of Kenta doing kicks. And then William Regal announces kenta and he comes to the ring and i was like take that forbidden door okay wait hold on <laughs> nope so Soap, soapbox time soapbox time miles no oh come yep. on are we doing this nope. yep we are okay oh, Pod fuck friends. Me. Nope. this is important because uh, look All a right. lot of our people don't watch wrestling and nor I do know. they follow wrestling twitter pod friends who don't watch or follow wrestles i'm gonna explain a thing that i fucking love and it's incredibly stupid okay <laughs> So, The Forbidden Door is basically the fact that WWE doesn't tend to acknowledge that wrestlers come from other promotions. So, there's like reboots that don't acknowledge anything prior as canon. So, acknowledging that they came from somewhere else and being open about that process of coming to a new company is called The Forbidden Door. And a lot of people lose their goddamn minds about it, not in a good way. Guys, guys, it is the most... Fucking stupid fantasy novel (laughs) bullshit imaginable. It's like the story of Bluebeard or Beauty and the Beast. There's a secret in this gothic household that you're not allowed to know about. And we, the poor beleaguered wrestling fans, just want to know what's that noise in the attic. AEW has decided to make a selling point at the Forbidden Door. Fucking love it because it couldn't be stupider. And it's basically like if you changed your employer and they were like, oh my God, you're working at Subway. (laughs) And like, okay, this is a soapbox. Everything in life should be that ridiculous or overbooked. When you graduate from middle school and go to high school, that should be treated as the forbidden door. If you need something from Walmart, but you usually go to Target, forbidden door. I am going to squeeze Every molecule of dumb out of this that there is to be had. Now, as a fun activity at home, I want you to find everyday ways you can turn things in life into the Forbidden Door. Or similarly fun, gothic fantasy tropes. So maybe start treating, you know, the best pair of scissors in the house that you perpetually lose as an ancient cursed object of power that must be recovered through a quest every time you need them. So... Look, more dumb shit in day-to-day life. Okay, my soapbox is put away. What
1: about my bathrobe? Can that be the forbidden door?
0: Is your bathrobe entering into a new life as a bathrobe?
1: No, it's always been a bathrobe.
0: Okay, now, if your wife started using your bathrobe, that mm. would be forbidden door. Well,
1: that's a- Okay, well, this actually used to be her bathrobe, though. She gave it to me. Oh,
0: okay, so yeah, forbidden door. No, okay. Miles, you've got a forbidden it door. Great, qualifies,
1: fantastic. It's actually funny that you brought that up, Bob, because this thing with Kenta actually kind of is like the cracking of the forbidden door. I hate talking about the Forbidden Door now because I think it's stupid because I think the Forbidden Door has been open for years. But this actually was it. Like this actually was like, holy shit, they brought in Kenta and like, yeah, they made him change his name. But also they were like, hey, it's Kenta and he's changing his name, which they normally would never do. And this was like the first instance of it.
0: Is this treatment of people as pre-existing stars in wrestling a thing that is special to NXT?
1: At the time, at the okay. time it was, not anymore. In terms of like bringing people into WWE, like I said, this is like kind of the first instance where they were actually acknowledging that the dude had a name prior to coming there, which they normally would never do.
0: Sprung fully formed from Zeus's head. Kenta comes out. He has the dopest entrance ever. It's like this swaying Tory gate, red and black trees, fun hard rock theme. Kenta is wearing a fitted suit and he looks really cute. He gives a promo in Japanese and the audience says what more than I'd like, which is to say at all. Right.
1: Fortunately, not like a lot. Oh, but no, it there was not a, a little, full on
0: what chant, but there yeah. was a little bit of wedding, and I was like, D- oh, were you raised in a fucking barn? Stop it. Yeah. Then he says in English that this is a dream come true and the audience is like, yeah, we recognize this language. We like it. <laughs> And he announces that he's starting over here at NXT and going by the name Hideo Itami. And that name swoons into view on his cool logo on the Tron. His goal is to be NXT champion. You know who doesn't like that? Weirdly, the Ascension.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure why they objected exactly.
0: I I know. I was like, what? You've never cared about that? Why now?
1: I'm not sure they were objecting so much as the, it was supposed to be like, they're mad, so they're going to come out and beat somebody up. I don't know.
0: But it, it felt so personal about Hideo yeah. and Tommy that they were like, no, fuck you in particular. And I'm like, I get that's because Regal happened to be there and they wanted to talk to Regal. But also, I don't know.
3: I, I, I think the the Ascension just hate guys who know how to wear clothes well.
0: Mm. Oh, That's a good point. Well, yeah, I They're mean, like, you're those... sure is
3: covering your entire
1: chest. What's wrong with you? Oh
0: man, you're not wearing a little crotch cape. <laughs> what? If, what if your fly is down? This is a crisis. You gotta get that <laughs> shit covered up double. So the Ascension dump Itami out of the ring, and they say we're in a bad mood, and they want a rematch. Itami gets back in the ring, trounces the two vampire boys who look astonished at the gall of this snack. Itami grabs a chair, sits in the middle of the ring, and doing the "Come fight me" fingers. He's like, what a badass. Gotta say, this feels like throwing the Ascension under the bus, but I was still really excited about it. I was like, don't be mean to my vampire boys, but I do like this guy. Match four. It's Bull Dempsey versus Mojo Raleigh. Or, as Bleacher Report of 2014 put it, the blow off to a feud that no one wanted to see. <laughs> <laughs> this match... It's like seeing a very early NXT women's match. Bull chases Raleigh from corner to corner, peppering him with blows as Raleigh cowers. And then Raleigh gets Bull down on his back and peppers him with blows. And I was like, I was waiting for Raleigh to do the hair grab. And honestly, that would have made it better. At that point, I would have been like, yeah, fucking yeah, this match. But that does not happen. And then Bull recovers, gets Raleigh down on his back, goes to the top rope, and flies down at Raleigh with a headbutt, pins Raleigh for the win, and then he goes to the top rope and does the headbutt again, just in case we needed to see a less well-executed version of that finishing move that we had just seen. I felt vaguely embarrassed for everyone. Thoughts on this match?
3: There was a point in the show where I had the thought, it's hard to watch this show in 2022 and not just dwell on where everybody ended up from here. And then this match happened. <laughs> <laughs> the dwelling is all there is with this match. There's nothing else to distract you from. <laughs> um, a flying headbutt is not a move. I like to see people do. And nope. uh, it was not well done here. That's no. about all I can say, Bob, you were a little bit excited about this match, as I recall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hoped it would be bad in a fun way. You like, speculated
1: hope- on what they would do if they got 15 minutes, which they got like one.
0: Oh, did I? What? Yeah. Uh, what was I on? What What was I drinking that day? I mean, I, I never drink alcohol during recordings, but I i mean, I do for hard choices. But right, of course. for this show. I think there's things they could have done that would have been really fun. <laughs> Clearly, they were not interested in doing those things. I want people to be treated well and to be given some measure of respect in their workplace. I grant you that that is not necessarily a thing that wrestling is going to give to me all the time. Certainly no.
3: not uh, as it, it comes to uh, Bull Dempsey and Mojo Rawley.
0: Backstage shenanigans. Enzo and Cass are looking for Marcus Louis because they can't finish unless they see someone bald. So <laughs> they find Lafour and Louis in the back, Louis's head covered by a towel cask gets him in the gut half louis over his shoulder and carries him into the arena to the cheers of the crowd the towel is still in place get him in the middle of the ring the towel is ripped away louis is bald but for some little patches of hair clinging like lint to his scalp his eyebrows are also gone Louis's mouth agape half crouched in disbelief and deep shame freaks out and then runs away. It's a lot. It is emotionally difficult to fucking watch. I was like, this feels like being back in middle school, and I fucking hate it. Oh, and also they do a B A W L D joke because clearly, if you can get an audience to yell something at you, you gotta do it.
1: Yeah, Enzo doing a lot of uh, a lot of talking in this one. I think you kind of glossed over their uh, their pre-batch provo, but uh, it was extensive.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: He just named haircuts for like a while.
0: <laughs> yes. And I, I will admit that the delivery of these haircut names, it made it a joke, which it should not have been a joke. And I was like, all right, you have done a delivery thing. I, I will give you this. Match five. Women's action. And we get to see a retrospective on Bailey and Charlotte with some talking head stuff. Out of nowhere, these sapphic feels, because Bailey's like, because no matter how talented they are, no matter how beautiful they are, these other women don't want it as bad as me. And I was like, oh, the gay.
3: I feel it. I had actually forgotten how gay NXT Bailey was until I watched this. I was like, oh, yeah, this is when she was in love with every woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice because we can like
1: indulge it in it a little bit more now because she's transitioned out of feeling childlike yes which she felt in very early nxt it felt like she's like you know just a little kid but now it's like you just like oh no this is this is a, a a woman who is starting to gain confidence in her own horniness
0: yeah you love <laughs> and to wrestling see it.
1: ability also wrestling ability
0: <laughs> well definitely that. and now it is time for lady whistledown's match report
1: Ah, I was wondering.
0: Two diamonds of the first water in contention for the same prize is a trouble for many a duke, but it is also a problem for a certain beloved accessory in our little promotion. The women's championship girdle is most highly sought after and is currently in the possession of Lady Flair of the Flair dynasty. Lady Bailey has also been looking to change that, however, and with plucky determination, has won her spot opposite Lady Flair. The match begins rather uncharacteristically with the offer of a handshake from Lady Flair. Lady Bailey, famously very susceptible to amicable overtures, does not immediately accept Something the Lady Bailey of one season ago would have done without a second thought. Instead, no doubt recalling past slights by Lady Flair charges and drives Lady Flair into the corner. Lady Flair responds with a volley of chops to the chest, but Lady Bailey is in strong position and does not back down, seeing to it that Lady Flair goes down and stays down before pinning her. Lady Flair kicks out, but the pace is set to be quite furious and competitive. Lady Bailey attempts a backslide, but Lady Flair is no ingenue in her first season any longer and drops to the mat, knocking Lady Bailey's head unforgivably hard upon her shoulder. Now that Lady Bailey is properly downed, Lady Flair offers a slow promenade of villainy, using the ring to injure her and her familiar headlock some churl in the audience is whistling throughout the proceedings. Yes! Yeah. As though trying to adjust the rigging on a ship. <laughs> but even that cannot dim the pleasure of this match. Speaking of undimmed, even when locked tightly in the embrace of Lady Flair's thighs, Lady Bailey's mind is always on victory as she leaps upon every opportunity to escape and execute several opportunistic pin attempts. As far as Lady Flair is concerned, this is not to be borne, and brutally knees Lady Bailey in the stomach, such that it's a wonder that the boning in her corset was intact. Charlotte seeks to use the top rope to her advantage, but Lady Bailey pursues before giving Lady Flair a thigh embrace of her own, directly around Lady Flair's neck. From the top rope, they flip, sending both to the mat. Lady Flair landing in a battered heap and Lady Bailey prone from exhaustion and pain from the attentions of Lady Flair. Alas, Lady Bailey is too drained to pin Lady Flare in a timely manner. The pace quickens briefly as each attempts to best the other and Lady Flare completes an extraordinary moonsault from the top rope that Lady Bailey nonetheless kicks out of. The two crouch in the ring, determined, and Lady Flair truly outraged at the challenge Lady Bailey is presenting. Lady Flair decides that it is time for natural selection to take its course, and does her aptly named finale on Lady Bailey, pinning her for the victory. The quartet began to play Lady Flair's tune, and she gloried in her victory, but then, from the back of the assembly, her erstwhile bosom friend, Lady Banks, appeared. The crowd took up a loathsome chant regarding her as those of low moral character often do. Lady Banks commenced in beating Lady Bailey as Lady Flair looked on, and quite to the surprise of this author, Lady Flair intervened, throwing aside Lady Banks to stop the beating, but still glaring at Lady Bailey. This author is not quite sure what social intricacies this act portends, but rest assured that as the eyes and ears of the ton, I shall be keeping close watch. So Charlotte did sort of a nice thing. Mm -hmm. I am intrigued.
1: I love the way these characters are allowed to be characters who don't necessarily have to make just like heelish or face decisions, but can actually like change and grow. It's great. And I always love it. I'm always a sucker for... I won, but you gave me a good fight, so now I respect you. Yeah, that's just <laughs> one, of the, one of the
3: best wrestling stories there is. Very much so.
0: Elle, I believe you have lots and lots of Bailey feelings and Charlotte thoughts.
3: I mean, I don't have a lot of eloquent things to say about Bailey at this time. I just love her. I yeah. think she is uh, an amazing wrestler. She was already an amazing wrestler in 2014, uh, and yeah. she's only gotten better. Uh, when I talked about not watching WWE anymore, the one thing that's going to be a challenge for me is when she comes back because she's out with injury. Oh right now. And she's I so don't know if I can stay away when she reappears. Of course, what will happen is that uh, I'll watch and they'll do something shitty with her and then I'll quit again. Uh, mm. But certainly if I had to choose one favorite wrestler in WWE It would, without a doubt, be Bailey, and has been for a long time. It was great seeing the face that she was in 2014 because when she came up on the main roster as a baby face, she was never as well realized as she was in NXT, uh, which is a common problem. When she was crying during that video package, oh, it got me so hard. Um, My thoughts about Charlotte, and I may have said this before, I'm not sure, but I miss the Charlotte. And specifically when I say that, I miss The Charlotte that was a soft butch, Mm -hmm. slightly white trash jock with like (laughs) a thin veneer of glamour over her. In 2022, she's all glamour.
1: Yeah. It's it's like sunk
3: in and really become part of who she is. She's too perfect now. And that's some combination of like training and experience and confidence and surgery, uh, which, you know, no judgment. But... Seeing her in 2014, she's kind of rough, like she, both in uh, mannerisms and appearance, and yeah. there's such a like authenticity to that that I really enjoy, uh, <gasps> and not to mention an attractiveness. Uh, yeah,
0: God, you really got me with that like soft butch, slightly white trash, and I'm like, <gasps> I need this romance novel.
1: <laughs> she <laughs> oh feels weirdly in this era like a female Lesnar in some ways, yeah, like just the that. same kind of. The same kind of vibe of it's like, holy shit, look at that person. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. just just goddamn, look at that person. And you know, like you said, <laughs> El, I, I totally agree with you. Like, no judgment, you get whatever plastic surgery you want to. But I do really enjoy this really angular look that she's got going on. She's very, like, she's tall and she's sharp. She's just, like, all muscle and, like, really no soft spots, really. And, like you said, the thin veneer of glamour over it because she's a fucking flare, and, like, her attitude that she carries with it as when she's doing this
3: version of the character, this is definitely peak Charlotte for me. Yeah, I I completely agree. I found myself having gotten so used to, you know, her, like, evolved gimmick I was like had a moment of surprise when she entered without a flare robe. <laughs> oh, Bailey came out with the the fringe jacket oh, yeah. with the streamers. I've also it. forgotten about Bailey's like like Macho Man yeah. S- sleeves.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh uh, my God, that's a Macho Man reference.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: My main thing that I know about Macho Man is like creamers. Oh, I thought you were going to say <laughs> Slim Jims,
3: but yeah, that too.
0: Oh, you know what? I'd forgotten about the Slim Jims. No, I think a friend sent me a bunch of them. And so I was like, I watched him balance a creamer on his head. And I was like, this is wonderful television. This is the best.
3: <laughs> also related to uh, 2014 Bailey feelings. I don't know if this is someone who has previously appeared or been discussed in the podcast, but teeny tiny Izzy. Uh, I think this might be the first time I noticed that too. Uh, yeah, because she—that's who Bailey gives her headband to as she's entering. No. And she's so tiny. Yeah, she's so young. Okay. <laughs> and now she's who she is today. That's a whole. thing. That's a but... whole thing that we don't need to talk about. <laughs> uh, oh. But yeah, uh, it was it was interesting seeing, you. and I felt too instinctively like is this the first Izzy appearance? Uh, I think it was. She's not a on at all. She's just a little girl in the crowd, but she's in that spot Mm -hmm. that she was always in. It was definitely um, the first time I
0: remember noticing her anyway. We now cut to a bit of a retrospective about Sami Zayn. And the narrative is that he's an underdog and can't always seal the deal when it matters. And we get talking heads from Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins. Clearly his role as our POV character continues. Mm -hmm. Zayn finishes up by saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to win the NXT championship, dot, dot, dot. It's just a matter of when. And now we get match number six, the main event, the fatal four-way, the most dangerous kind of group sex yet devised. And, you know, all four of them, they enter separately. I just wanted to give a quick ranking of audience excitement. So there was their entrances, and then there's when they're announced. And whenever they're announced, Breeze gets cheers, and eventually a Breeze's gorgeous chant. Zayn gets immediate screams. Like, they're not even done announcing him. Just, ah! And yeah. an immediate ole chant kid booze some cheers i the booze are pretty lusty they're they're solid booze neville cheers a few screams but zane is just carrying this thing i have seen a handful of these kind of matches and one of the ways they usually start is the standoff so it does that one and everybody's deciding do i want to be the one to start shit Eh, i don't know if i want to be the one to start shit breeze throws the first kick eh, as he would and it's off to the races as they pair off. Breeze and Zane tussling to the outside. Neville and Kid throwing hands on the outside opposite them.
1: The pairs who fought each other at TakeOver, interestingly, is how they break up.
0: Yeah, the match makes a lot of sense about who ends up with who and when. Yeah. Which I was like, normally I don't have an intuitive sense of that, nor do I notice it. That is a rare thing for me. So I was like, oh, gasp, I noticed a thing. How weird. Neville and Zane dispatch with their opponents and get back in the ring, only to find that they're facing dot 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 one another. There is a pause so pregnant that its water just broke. And then Breeze and Kid renew their attack. Zane and Neville are doing well for themselves, and Zane beans Tyler Breeze with his own phone before taking a thumbs up selfie. Kid wraps up his hobbit abuse and heads for Zane, tossing him into the ring, but Zane locks in his sensual knee shenanigans, the Koji Clutch. But Breeze intervenes, ensuring that Sammy doesn't take the victory. That potential near-fall handle, the action heads to the top of the ramp where Neville eats an unlikely supervillain team-up suplex from Breeze and Kid. Alright, time out. Which Marvel supervillains are Tyler Breeze and Tyson Kidd?
1: For some reason, I want to say that Tyson Kidd reminds me of Toad. (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay.
1: He seems to me to also be the kind of person who would be like, no one appreciates me, but I'm secretly a genius and I'm I'm better than all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Breeze?
3: I guess Mr. Sinister?
2: (laughs) No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can see it. There was a guy in the '90s who was from the future, and he had a really good hair that I think was green. He was an X Men villain.
2: Oh, uh, I can't remember his name,
3: uh, but he's Shit. definitely one of those like Hellfire Club guys. Oh, okay. uh, um, Trevor Fitzroy. Yes, Trevor Fitzroy.
0: That's a hell of a comics name. That's very good. <laughs> I read a lot of X Force. <laughs> uh, see, I feel like Namor is Tyler Breeze. I get that he's not necessarily supervillain all the time. Like, he's part time supervillain. But he has a lot of Tyler Breeze energy,
1: does Namor. El brought the Hellfire Club, and now I think it's uh Shinobi Shaw.
3: Yeah, I can see like, that. It feels
1: very Shinobi Shaw to me, Tyler Breeze, like just like kind of the pretty boy who who's like in over his head but <laughs> thinks his good looks will get him out of it.
3: <laughs> oh no. We may be too trapped by the gender binary. I think uh, mm. I think Tyler Breeze might just be Emma Frost.
0: Oh Oh, my god, yes, you're so right. That's pretty
3: good. That's pretty good. Oh my
0: god, yep. All right, that's who it is. Now, Zane eats a team up suplex right on the solid steel ramp, but these two heels aren't done. They grab our handsome lead hero and start working him over together. Neville tries to get in the fray, but is immediately sent packing. The crowd is watching intently, but when Kid does a big arms up, are you not entertained? The audience starts at, Natty's better chant, which like, yes, Natty is the best. We all I know mean, this. Come on. Tyson, Tyson Kid would agree. So no supervillain team up can last forever. They have a very finite lifespan. Breeze tries to hog the glory by trying for a pin. And Kid takes that about as well as Dr. Doom would take it if Loki tried to pull that shit. Which is to say that Breeze gets kicked in the face and flops off the apron to the floor below. Sammy Zane is now facing a single supervillain, but Tyson Kidd is no slouch. Neville charges into the ring and Kidd sends him back out the other side. Zane is pressed, smooshed, and stretched against every available surface and body part. He is more worked over than a pound of saltwater taffy. Neville tries again, another rebuff. More wrecking Sammy. Neville tries to get in is tossed out once again, but this time he comes back and he gets Kidd good. Breeze, who has been convalescing in the south of France, is now ready to re-enter, And Sammy takes him out with his patented Street Fighter double jump drop kick. Both heels now are standing at the foot of the ramp and Sammy's going to do a big flying thing. But then Neville gets in the way, jumps up and does a springboard off the top rope in a backflip, taking them both out. Neville stands looking at Sammy. Sammy stands looking at Neville. Neville draws closer. Sammy takes off his elbow guards. This pause is now dilated to five centimeters. <laughs> Neville unleashes a barrage of his fastest, sharpest kicks. He comes at Zane from the opposite corner, doing an entire floor routine's worth of flips that usually lead into a body check, but Zane steps into it. Picking up Neville in midair, he fumbles the interception, and Neville <laughs> goes down. Yeah, but he does. But Zane... <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a like, (laughs) oh no. But he really recovered. Yeah, He pounces. He tries to do a pin. Kid breaks it up and chucks Zane. Now it's between Neville and Kid. Kid uses a returning Zane as a thrown weapon, dislodging Neville from the top rope. It's between Kid and Zane now. Kid keeps trying for the sharpshooter, but Zane isn't going down that easy. Zane is in position to kick the shit out of Kid's shit-eating grin. But from out of shot... In flies the perfect body of Tyler Breeze doing the beauty shot on Zane. Breeze follows it up by kicking Kid and then Neville. He tries to pin Neville. Kick out. He tries to pin Kid. Kick out. He throws an absolutely gorgeous fit. Zane (laughs) is on the outside struggling to recover. And now the Lego portion of this evening's entertainment. Breeze puts Neville on the top corner, goes up on there to do a thing. Kid leaps in on the other side of Neville. He wants in on this too. It's going to be double suplex from the top rope. And then Zayn runs in and puts the final domino in place. So this whole thing comes toppling down in perfect suplexy fashion. Zayn pins Kid who kicks out. That was three. That was three. The audience is chanting. I mean, the audience is chanting positive shit throughout this. They're like, this is wrestling. It's this audience. It is a sea of boners for this thing. This thing is amazing. Zane is hyped and ready to do the thing, but Neville kicks him in the jaw, flooring Zane. Neville red arrows him. Breeze pounces, kicking Neville out of the way and stealing the chance for a pin. Zane kicks out. This opens up Breeze, though, for an opportunistic kid who sees a sharpshooter victim ripe for the picking. He locks it in on Breeze. Breeze is about to fucking tap out. And Neville gets in the way and grabs Breeze's hand to prevent the tap out. Zane gets kid out of the way. It is just Zane and Neville now. They're tired, fucking exhausted, but not so exhausted that Zane can't throw Neville off a cliff like it's a Wiley cartoon. Like, hurls him over the top rope and then Neville just dead falls yeah to the outside below zane follows it up with a dive through the ropes that was more nosedive than anything else and just <laughs> seriously i am very glad that sammy Zayn was okay after he losing hit altitude.
1: glancingly
0: yeah i was like oh you lost altitude immediately it's like he dove for the floor and i was like oh my god don't get injured please zane bounces back and brains breeze on the ramp he runs back in the ring big boot to the face of kid this is it he's gonna get it one two three the ref is pulled from the ring he's pulled by neville Mm. neville looks at zane zane looks at neville the moment is fucking crowning at this point it is so goddamn pregnant (laughs) neville looks pained but determined And then when Zane comes to get satisfaction for this offense, Neville kicks him in the head because that's what it means to be determined. (laughs) Kid still laid out in the ring and Neville jumps on this opportunity. Red arrows, kid, one, two, three, and it's over. Neville retains before Zane can break it up. The crowd doesn't explode with joy and relief. Instead, they seem dumbstruck. A guy in the audience does the for shame fingers at Neville We wrap on a defeated and betrayed-looking Sami Zayn and a determinedly triumphant Adrian Neville. Okay, Miles, I know you're going to ask what I thought of this whole thing, but first, I want to know, Ellen Miles, when you think about memorable NXT takeovers, is this takeover anywhere on that list or is this takeover important for different reasons, if it's important at all? I am trying to place this Takeover in NXT history and try to understand its place.
3: Obviously, I'm a bit biased by the fact that I had not started watching when this happened. Mm-hmm. But to me, this feels like things haven't really kicked into the next gear yet. Okay. I f- there's a point when, I don't think this is giving too much away to say this, there's a point when TakeOver starts traveling.
0: Oh, And yeah. I feel like
3: that's when it really comes into its own as a show. For me... It's such a weird show
1: because it is important, but it's important for strange reasons. The wrestling is very good. Um, There's a lot of kind of strange botches throughout, which I found really interesting. Like that big moonsault Charlotte does like it's a beautiful move, but she really does not stick the landing very well. Um, She lands with her knees first and then just kind of like drops onto Bailey. And if you notice, they don't show the replay of it. Um, yeah. because it didn't look very good. Uh, Neville and Zane have the thing where Z—he's obviously Neville was supposed to land on Zane's shoulders and Zane dropped him. Even like Kalisto and Sin Cara had a weird, um, I think Kalisto and one of the Ascension had a weird botch where Kalisto was going to do like a Code Red or something like that. Victor just kind of like landed on top of him and it <laughs> it's not the cleanest or the most impressive show. But the other thing is, I agree that a lot of that is when they start traveling, but the next I'm going to say four takeover shows Mm -hmm. are kind of unprecedented in terms of like being an amazing run of takeovers. Like, I mean, there's some good runs later on. I shouldn't say unprecedented because there's some good runs later, but like the next one and the ones immediately after that, like late 2014 to mid to late 2015, like that's a hell of a fucking run. And to me, what this takeover kind of represents, you know, in terms of the lineage, it's almost like the forgotten takeover in a weird way. And it's, (laughs) it's for a lot of people. I think this is kind of where NXT starts on this takeover. A lot of the wrestlers have the music finally they're going to use for a long time. Bailey has new music. It's going to be her music forever. Fucking Lucha Dragons have new music. It's going to be their music forever. Everybody's kind of got new gear. Like everybody's got, you can tell that WWE has been building to this. They have little vignettes throughout where you can see like Neville and Zayn teamed up against uh, Kid and Breeze on Raw to promote yeah. this event. And they showed a clip from that. They're bringing in fucking Kenta. Like this is the moment where NXT really starts to roll, everything that's about to come next is like remembered as some of the greatest moments in NXT history, much more so than this event. But this Mm -hmm. event gets that version of NXT really ready to go. In many ways, I think this could be considered the beginning of of kind of the next era,
3: in a way. Having said that, I'll add that I'm really excited to keep listening to uh, this podcast going forward because... You're both getting close to when I started watching, and also just getting to the point when like NXT is firing on all cylinders,
2: mm-hmm. Ooh, and that's yeah. going to be a
3: lot of fun to listen to. There's there's debuts coming, and there's big uh, rivalries coming, and there's just a lot of a lot of good stuff is on the way. Yeah, I'm excited. We're about to get to the really really good shit. When I was here two years ago, it felt like so far away. Yeah, I
1: know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. For me too. All right, Bob. Thank you so much for that breakdown, first of all. Uh, That was very extensive, and you covered a lot, and it involved you talking a lot and writing a lot, and I really appreciate you. Um, (laughs) What did you think of TakeOver?
0: I popped so fucking hard for the (laughs) Essence. Because I just fucking love that dumb, dumb shit. I enjoyed that. I was like, oh, these kind of, you know, these bummer matches that are just nothing. I mean, I was like, oh, Kent is going to be a whole thing. I'm excited about this. And then the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, the women's match is good. Oh, yeah, the four-way is good. And then upon rewatch, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Both of those matches are so good. I mean, I know NXT women's matches are going to get even better than this, Mm. but given the quality of women's matches that I have gotten to see, and they've been good, but they have not been this.
1: Yeah, Charlotte Bailey was really fucking good. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then that that was like one of the better four ways or like even triple threats that I've seen. Every storyline was doing something and I feel like I don't get to see that all the time whenever I get those. And I think I, I know, you know, the purest version of wrestling is two wrestlers or tag team or something like that. But I love a multiples And because whenever it's good, it's so good. It's so fucking good. It's like it's like the ultimate crossover of every storyline. You just get to eat all of it at once. It is the fucking dessert buffet at Golden Corral. All the cookies are in the ice cream. There's a brownie. It's everything. And this one actually delivered this time. I didn't make a dessert abomination. I love it.
1: (laughs) I think one of the reasons the Fatal Four Way worked so much as a match is because they really did kind of frame it around two people. The match is really about Neville and Zane. Yeah. And Tyson Kidd and Tyler Breeze are there as well, but you can sort of tell that those two know that it's about Neville and Zane. And their strategy from the start of the match is don't let it be about them. We're here too. <laughs> These two people don't need all the fucking credit all the time just because they're such great indie wrestlers or whatever. Like, there's so much build up to the moment where Neville and Zane actually get to fight each other. Yes. <laughs> Cause that's what it's about. Like that's what really, you know, it's going to eventually come down to is which one of those two guys is better. And we already saw them wrestle in a previous episode a while back. And that was amazing. Um, yeah, well, it was so like bigger. there's a lot of anticipation going on there. And I just think the match is structured really well. And, is, and the finish, I, I got more thoughts about it later on. Yeah. <laughs> It is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see?
0: Butt watch. But watch. Sylvester LaFour's entire ass was the french flag and i uh, it was not embroidered it was not like applique i swear to god it was sequence. Mm-hmm. like i don't think it was the it wasn't the metallic kind but i think it was sequence because it was reflecting light in that way and i was like that's gotta feel so weird on your butt because sequence, i don't know if you've ever worn sequence miles it's heavy Sequence yeah, is not light yeah, i was in theater bob <laughs> Yeah, that shit's heavy. And I'm like, that's just sagging on your butt as you're doing stuff. That's got to feel so fucking weird. And just so much respect to Sylvester LaFour for going, like, no, no, the flag should be bigger. Right. No, both cheeks. I want both.
1: <laughs> he turns to Marcus Louis and he's like, now it's time for you to do yours. And he's like, I, I, you know, man, I'm just going to dress up as a mime. I'm just going <laughs> to.
0: <laughs> I respect the old ways. Yeah. I show dresses in mime. <laughs> Miles, what did your elf eye see?
1: At the very beginning of the show... It starts to do the WWE signature thing where it's like, then, now, forever, <laughs> that kind of deal, right? Yes. But it's different because, like, little shots of TakeOver are like, like it's like the old yeah. uh, Degeneration X fucking entrance where it's like, ksh, signal interrupted by TakeOver. And the word now got really big because TakeOver is the future is now, all that shit. It was a really kind of cool thing to do. It made me think so much about how NXT was presenting itself during this era, because like this was kind of NXT's coming-out party in a weird way. Like, this was the show where, you know, it was like, okay, here we are, we're out in the world now. I wrote about this a little bit when I wrote that two-part piece for FanFight about the legacy of, of the, the original NXT. When it first came around, the way it was produced really wanted you to think of it as an alternative to WWE. The mm. NXT was deliberately designed, even the name, TakeOver, like this was this was about being like, do you not give a shit about Raw? You should come over to this and give us money over here and buy our new <laughs> streaming service, the WWE Network. And it was all about the fact they wanted NXT to feel cool and edgy and underground and alternative and different to the extent that at the beginning of this, they're like literally taking over the WWE signature at the top of the show because it's not fucking WWE. It's NXT. goddamn it. And mm. that is, I think about that so hard now because that is exactly what NXT, that feeling is exactly what NXT lost. The moment they moved to USA to counter program, a W the moment that happened, it was gone and that mm. was really the death knell and I, I you just, like I wrote about that in my piece like looking back that was the moment when they moved to USA all of a sudden you're part of the evil empire now all of a sudden mm. there's this other fucking cool thing that actually is an alternative that actually is independent from Vince McMahon and you're gonna fucking like tell me to like come over to be a fucking scab and cross the picket line and like come over to this other show that was deliberately positioned against the new thing to make it fail fuck you that's what i thought about when i saw the opening seconds of this broadcast
0: wow all right l what did your L i see
3: (laughs) this also relates to aw uh Much more quickly. Uh, Also, at the beginning of the show, (laughs) as the uh, camera pans across the crowd, there is a person in a Chuck Taylor T-shirt. Oh, wow. And my first thought was, like, now the, like, WWE camera would be, like, instructed or just know to, like, avoid showing that. Because that guy works for a rival company. But in 2014, WWE didn't give a fuck who Chuck Taylor was. (laughs) <laughs> no. uh, but but nxt fans did because that again was the way it was positioned it was like the yeah. wwe that indie fans like there's also right. shortly after that there's a, a shot of someone in a colt cabana shirt just made me uh made me happy
0: i'm so happy they have jobs
3: <laughs> yeah me yeah. too uh bob what did your vulcaneers hear
0: bailey's new music on it, all of that stuff, like, I this is kind of smurgling all of it together, but the new graphics, Shurgling. the new accessories, my sibling taught me that word, the whole spectacle of it, but that music was such a fucking delight, and I, I was just overwhelmed, but, I don't know, for that one second, it had a little bit of that Disneyland magic, mm-hmm. and I was like, I didn't think I would, you know, get that from just, you know, some inflatable tube guys and some arm streamers and music, but apparently... If you put it in the right combination with enough bright lights, I'm like, oh my God, the magic kingdom. So that uh, was very powerful. Miles, what did your Vulcan years hear?
1: Uh, Renee Young was a <laughs> person who called this event. I thought it was probably better for her presence. I thought for the most part, she did a really good job. I yes. always enjoy listening to her. And- yeah. Um, I think that she is better than fucking Alex Riley in any context, and that's what we would have gotten if she wasn't there. But that having been said, she had some weird moments on commentary, and one of the weirdest ones to me was the moment when Enzo and Cass were dragging Marcus Louis back out to take the towel off, and Renee was just throwing so much shade at him. Like, even before the towel was removed, she said, he looks so weird already. What's he gonna look like now?
0: (laughs) was just like and Renee was hungry for blood during she, the hair versus hair match Renee was, was like fuck yeah this is gonna be a am- take his hair now and you're like oh no. my god Renee Byron Saxon's over here
1: going Renee have a heart what's wrong with you why are you cheering for this and she's like it isn't happening to me
0: <laughs> I know and then she was also like you don't even know you don't have hair and I'm like god damn <laughs> Renee what the fuck is wrong with you uh. Were you dosed before this? What <laughs> happened? L? what did your Vulcaneers oh, hear? Well,
3: I also wanted to talk about Renee on commentary.
0: Yes. Uh, because it.
3: I have, I have, I don't guess it qualifies as a hot take anymore, but I have a take. Renee Young was never bad at commentary. Uh, Even Renee yeah, Young here, will tell here. you, or I'm sorry, Renee Paquette now will tell yeah. you that she was not good at commentary and that's bullshit. Yeah. She never got enough experience to not seem a little green at it. So occasionally her timing's a little off or she says something a little awkward, but she was never bad at it. She was just a little green at it and a woman. Yes. Yes. Uh, And that caused both fans and people she worked with to maintain and to, in fact, convince her, sadly, that she was bad at it. She's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine.
0: I, I so agree with you. I think that the thing that draws attention to her as well is that Renee has a character. Like Renee isn't just, oh, I'm just doing commentary. Renee is like a person who wants to see some shit go down a lot of the time. (laughs) And like that definitely draws because I'm like, no, I don't like bullying. Renee, stop this. Stop hating and vetting. But at the same time, I'm like, I really fucking appreciate that Renee is out here selling this from like a fan perspective as well. Like Renee wants this match. And Renee is here for it. And that's such a cool thing because, like, not many people do that in commentary. Most people are like, oh, detached observer.
1: To the extent that we've complained about her somewhat on the show, it was only during the weird period that we've gotten through when they were bringing her out only for the women's matches, oh, and then Jesus. like, and then like making her have weird takes on what the women's locker room is like, and what are these two talking to each other? Are they gossiping about each other? And like, I think she was doing the best she could with what they wanted her oh, to do. Yeah. I don't blame her for any of that. When she starts becoming a regular member of the announce team, she kills it.
0: She is actually doing a thing. The yeah. Other are, are uh, there. They're there. Although I appreciate Tom Phillips most of the time.
1: He's unobtrusive, which I like in a my, play-by-play band.
0: He's a Brad Maddox methadone for me.
1: <laughs> All right, Megan Bob. What did your human heart feel?
0: The main event. What the fuck was that goddamn main event? That was amazing. <laughs> I was like looking at the bleacher report right up, and they were talking about it as um like match of the year material. And I don't know if that came true or if that holds up now. But I was like, I fucking loved it, and I would rewatch it. So yeah, the problem the problem no. is is
1: that there's the next takeover happens in the same year still. So oh, no. okay. nothing right. from this one can be matched to the year, unfortunately.
0: OK, fair enough. All right. Miles, what did your human heart feel?
1: Adrian Neville's face when mm. he pulled the referee out of the rig.
0: Goddamn. Again, I talked
1: about a little bit when we talked about Charlotte helping out Bailey, like the way these characters are allowed to just be characters who make choices and have to live with the consequences of those choices. Like he could not believe he had just done that. Adrian Neville's uh-huh. a baby face. Yeah. But when it came right down to it. It was that or lose the title. And he wanted the title more. <laughs> and as soon as he had done it, his eyes were so wide and he had to like take a moment to process it. And then like Sammy was looking at him and coming down to confront him. And you could just see devil going like, well, made my choice. Kick you in the face. Red arrow, you keep my championship.
0: God, it was such a fucking banger. Mo- I was like, I can't believe there's not more fanfic about this era. There's some. But I need more.
1: It's just like like we said at the beginning. I feel like the storytelling in the Bailey charlotte match and the main event really anchor the entire show. And nowhere is that more clear than in the finish of the main event. I love it so fucking much. I love well, also, the storytelling going on.
0: It also continues the theme of Neville is the wrestler who knows how wrestling works. Yes!
1: Neville is the one who watches the show and knows how this works and knows how to win. Sami Zayn is is the one who wants to be a good person and do the right thing. And Neville walked out with the title, and I'm sure
3: that dynamic won't be important at all moving forward. <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> Th-
3: this isn't my my feels, but I, I have to play the, yes. uh, the, the newcomer for a minute because I always have this issue with uh, multi man matches. I feel like certain gimmick matches in wrestling require different levels of suspension of disbelief. We just have to accept, like, this is how it works. This is how the storytelling works. There are certain things that just aren't going to happen, even though it's what any normal person would do. And I particularly thought about in this that in this match. There was a moment when uh, I think Neville was out of the ring and uh, Tyler Breeze almost pinned uh, Tyson Kidd. And mm-hmm. Kidd kicked out. And I was just thinking, you know, if you're Tyson Kidd, you know, in kayfabe, why would you kick out? Because – if you let Tyler Breeze win, you've at the very least ruined Neville's day. <laughs> oh. And if you do that and then you wrangle your way into a one-on-one title match, you just have to beat Tyler Breeze to be right. NXT champion. Mm. Uh, so just just let him pin you. Play the long game, yeah. Tyson. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do, no, I like does that. Does that ever happen in wrestling? I want to see that.
1: No that I've ever seen anything like that happen. You just you, I can't think uh, of any example like that, no. Oh
0: man, but I want it now, <laughs> now that it's been introduced to me.
1: <laughs> the forbidden fruit has come through the forbidden door.
0: Alright, L, what did your human heart feel?
3: We already talked about Bailey, who I love. Uh, but I also wanted to talk a little more about Kalisto, mm. who uh was a longtime favorite of mine. This Watching this, I had not seen Kalisto in a while. This really reminded me of how much I enjoy him. Uh, he's a great high flyer. He's a great baby face. Yeah. Uh, he's got an excellent look. His wife is adorable. Bob, do you know about Kalisto's wife? No. So Kalisto, you know, he's a luchador, which means he always wears his mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife, uh, when she would come to WWE events... With him, also wore a mask <gasps> to match.
0: That's amazing,
3: and it's just the cutest thing.
0: Oh my I did god! Not my heart. About this.
3: So, like, they would go to like the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies <gasps> and stuff in like formal wear, and both wearing masks. Or she would oh. come. Uh, That's incredible to WrestleMania, wearing a mask, oh and it's just god. the cutest thing in the world. She's also a little bit taller than him, which helps. Oh, I'm oh,
0: big fan of that. Big fan. Oh my god, she has a different mask. I love it. They don't even have like perfectly matching, but she has yeah. her own aesthetic.
3: Oh, that's yeah. so good. He was never a great talker, which I personally uh, I want to blame WWE for because I suspect the thing about Kalisto is Kalisto is from Chicago. Mm-hmm. WWE, when he was there, would really have liked you to believe he was from Mexico. Yeah, uh, yeah. He did work in Mexico extensively, but he is American and, in fact, Midwestern by birth. <laughs> uh, obviously of Mexican descent, but right. you yeah. know, grew up in Chicago. And you will literally, because he was so bad on the mic. I think it's a combination of just not getting a lot of mic experience, which I again I attribute to uh, WWE wanting to pretend he's not American. But because of a combination of that and just the fact that he speaks with the dialect of a Mexican-American man from Chicago, Mm -hmm. you will hear, or would when he was in WWE and would occasionally do do promos, dumbass WWE fans would talk about his English not being that good.
0: Oh, my God. Even though
3: English is literally his
1: first language, yeah. I, oh my god. I think he's better than people give him credit for. I he fucked up that one promo and he fucked it up really bad. And
3: that's what people remember about him.
1: He's not the good that lucha bad. things promo. Yeah, the good lucha things
3: promo. <laughs> uh, in which, yes, he talked about uh I just want to do good lucha things.
0: <laughs> oh, but that's the sweetest sentence. How come they didn't make a fucking t-shirt out of that? If
1: Sasha uh, Banks can make a t-shirt out of the I'm not ratchet, then
3: they can fucking do that.
0: Yes. Capitalize on the things that like people are shitty about, make them pay money and like raise money for the rest. That's
3: right. I always thought Kalisto was great. And he was, it was a lot of fun seeing him get like his first big win in WWE. Yeah. On the show.
1: All right. Those were the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Before we move on, we have to award one, two, possibly three lucky performers with the Bow Rince Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. Megan Bob, who is getting your Lawrence Bow Olivier Award for this episode?
0: Marcus motherfucking Louis. Had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> he went full worm tongue. He sacrificed his fucking eyebrows For a goddamn visual gag. (laughs) Like, he's not even making that much money off of this. And he was like, no, I'll, you know what? I don't need my eyebrows. What we need is for this joke to pay off. And I'm like, you're incredible. They didn't deserve you. They should have given you a $30,000 bonus for sacrificing your eyebrows for six weeks or however long it takes to grow back eyebrows. (laughs) But God, uh, what a hero. Miles, who's getting your award?
1: I'm giving mine to Regal. Oh. Because um, he's so hot. Partially, yes. I wanted to give it to Kenta. Typical I,
0: shallow voting panel. <laughs>
1: I, I thought about giving it to Kenta because I really enjoy just like his portrayal of the fuck you badass. Like he's yeah. just gonna kill two people who are both bigger than him because they came after him. And like when they throw him out of the ring and then he just like gets right back in and takes off his jacket, it's like, oh fuck. But slightly eclipsing that for me is William Regal. It's two things that he does. The first one is just the way he says Kenta's name when he announces him. I used to ring announce it's so easy to make their name sound stupid (laughs) and a lot of times it's difficult to say them in the way that like makes it clear that they're going to fucking kill you. But that's how Mm. he says Kenta and then after the Ascension come out and Kenta runs them off and like sits on the chair and does the whole thing All Regal does is he just raises his arm and looks at him. And Regal has a look in his eye in that moment that's like, I fucking told you. Like, it is (laughs) not my fault that you came out and tried to mess with this man who I brought in and was like, hey, he's an international sensation. He's like, this motherfucker will kill you,
3: Ascension. Don't fuck with Um, him. Don't do it. L, I would like to give mine to Tyler Breeze. Mm. Oh, yes? Uh, He is so... Perfect at being uh, vain Mm. to the point of being like, is autosexual the word for like only being attracted to yourself? I think so. Uh, Yeah. Like he doesn't care that he's surrounded by hot women or gorgeous men, which he constantly is both. He only cares about his own face and hair. (laughs) i've always heard i don't know the exact truth of this but i always heard that that was a gimmick that was given to him not one that he chose and you would never know that because he lives it so well he is the gimmick woods actually talked
1: about it on the new day podcast he talked about how breeze was gonna get fired like they could just tell he was gonna get let go soon because nothing was working with the mike Dalton character or whatever he was doing and um And so he and Woods like stayed up late one night and filmed like four or five like different vignettes of like completely different characters, including the Tyler Breeze one and pitched all of them. And that was the one they liked. It was his idea, but it was also just, like, them throwing shit at the wall
3: <laughs> to be like, anything? Maybe? Do you like this one? Okay. It's so interesting because it's so weird. Like, the vain model gimmick is, like, a thing that exists, but he's not just doing that. Like, he's right. not Rick Martel. He's this very distinctive, like, beautiful weirdo. All right.
1: Well, you know, it's almost time for the end of our show. But when we have guests guest song, we like to do one more thing before we get out of here. And that is a friendly little game of Guess the Gimmick. So this is the segment where Megan Bob takes uh, the name of a wrestler that they are given, puts that name into Google Images, and uh, tells us what they think that person's gimmick was. And then we tell them about the actual person. So in this case, L has provided a name for us. I asked them if they wanted to, if they had any ideas. And uh, they came up with the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. So, Bob, if you would please type that collection of words into Google Images.
0: OK, hold on. I have to. I have to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK oh oh my (laughs) um so he's like a peepums (laughs) but like the er peepums like i don't he's doing the like i'm a buff guy but also he's i don't know i don't know if he is super buff. like he's not not buff but like he's doing it like he has one of those like body guy bodies but he's like he has like a normal strong guy body but he's got the hugest beard and it's not like it's a full beard. It's a castaway beard is the beard this man has. <laughs> and also on the Jimmy Valiant shoot interview, he has bronzing that looks like he has been cast away for a while and has been bronzed by the sun's <laughs> harsh, unforgiving rays. And then he has long, kind of blonde. It's very Eric Flair hair. What the fuck? I'm gonna scroll down. Okay, sometimes he's got a bandana. All right, that's cute. I like that. Um, oh, he has a lot of bandanas. Okay, sometimes he looks like the the guy who likes weed but is a country singer.
1: He looks like oh, the um, darkest timelines Willie Nelson.
0: Yeah, he does look like the darkest timelines Willie Nelson. Okay, I think he is not your best friend's grandpa but like one of your friend's grandpa (laughs) that you have met a few times and does live in the house with this person (laughs) and no explanation is ever offered. Whenever you see this person, because it doesn't wear a shirt around, but the beard is always out in full. It just says weird cryptic shit to you and then walks to the next room And so you don't hang out with that friend as much. Even though you like them, you don't hang out with them as much because you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And I feel like I can't ask. Like, (laughs) clearly everybody's accepted that this is okay and normal. And so I'm not going to rock the boat. with The fact that, like, there is essentially a man who's washed up on their shores but is also their grandfather and also has a very specific tiny headband. Okay, well, I'm not going to come to dinner, but I, I still would like to be your partner on the school project.
3: I mean, that's not incredibly wrong. <laughs> he is kind of a weird grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, now, he's, he's someone who was around for a million years. My familiarity with Jimmy Valiant is from watching mid-80s uh, NWA. Yeah. Okay. It's particularly World Championship Wrestling, which has always been one of my favorite uh, old shows to put on on the network slash Peacock from, like, 1985 to 1987. Wow. And, like, Jimmy Valiant is – well, he's the boogie-woogie man, and he does dance. Oh, okay. But he's sort of like um, – he's like uh, unauthorized Halloween store Dusty Rhodes.
2: <laughs> wow! I
3: can see that. Like, he dances and he's, like, a white guy who kind of uses a little bit of, like... Uh bve inflection in his uh promos Mm, okay and just generally has this like i'm a cool guy kind of attitude but he has this gigantic filthy looking beard it
0: Uh, looks very (laughs) unwashed or like he put bronzer in it too
3: (laughs) maybe uh I think it was my problematic former boss and editor at, uh, Uprox who once described him as, uh, if Santa Claus did meth.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Wa- mm. Yeah.
3: Okay. <laughs> um, but his gimmick is generally, uh, dancing and seeming like a criminal. That's
0: a fucking weird Venn diagram. Dancing and seeming like... So, what, McCavity? Like, well, I'm just trying to... What the fuck does this mean? You know, I
3: would believe that he has broken every human law. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. Starcade 85, which is one of the best wrestling shows of all time. I recommend it if you're ever okay. looking for something just fucking bananas to watch. Okay. Uh, it has the uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair match. <gasps> that yeah. the hard times promo was building up to that's the main event, but the weirdest fucking match and this is a match where uh where abdullah the butcher fights i forget his name a mexican cowboy in a uh sombrero on a pole match in which being abdullah <laughs> the butcher he stabs him with a fork uh But the weirdest fucking match on Starrcade 85, Jimmy Valiant had a uh, valet at this time named Big Mama. Okay. (laughs) Who, like, I don't want to shame this woman. I don't know who she was other than being Jimmy Valiant's uh, valet for time. But if you want to talk about somebody who has a very meth aesthetic.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Big Mama
3: was like, she had that look about her. She was uh, an older woman and not well kept together. But then he found a new partner. I mean, the three of them still went around together. It's not like he left Big Mama for this new partner. And it was never really clear if he was romantic with this new partner or if she was just a wrestling partner. But his new partner was a woman who he called Miss Atlanta Lively, who was, in fact, a wrestler named Ron Garvin in drag. Yeah. What? At Starrcade 85, Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively fought the Midnight Express, who were a top heel team managed by Jim Cornette. Jimmy Vaughn gave multiple promos about how he was going to strip them naked in this match. What? <laughs> that does kind of happen. I'm not naked, naked, but there is definitely underwear. I think we see Jim Cornette's uh, classic uh, heart print. That's our oh, answer yeah. But the amazing thing, and I was genuinely struck by how unlikely this was, Miss Atlanta Lively is never stripped and never, like, shamed for being a dude in drying. That never even comes up. Yeah. Fuck she's yeah. She's just treated like she's a big, strong, mannish woman the entire time.
0: You know, every now and then the past does a solid and you're like, yeah, all right, I see you back then. All right.
1: My favorite thing about Jimmy Valiant is that uh, frequently over the course of his career, for various reasons, he found himself banned from wrestling. Like he just like they wouldn't let him back in. And so he would put on like a black outfit with a black mask and call himself <laughs> Charlie Brown from out of town. But like he still had the fucking beard. It was the thing that Bo Dallas did like years later. When yeah, it was he's that exact gimmick. Yeah, it's like, no, That's- why would you recognize me? That's
0: fucking amazing. I appreciate that wrestling, for all that it is like, no, no verisimilitude. This needs to look like it's a real sport that people are actually fighting for reals. Is also like, but we're still going to do some fucking dumb shit though. Yeah, and I'm like, Come yeah. People don't do this shit in boxing. You can it's take they don't the wrestling.
1: You can take the wrestling out of the circus, <laughs> but yeah. you will never ever take the circus out of the wrestling. <sighs> All right, y'all.
0: All right. This is beautiful. Thank you. This
1: has you. been a fantastic show. Thank you so much, Elle. We've taken a great deal yeah. of your time and really appreciate you coming My on. My voice
3: is starting to give out a bit, as you can yeah.
1: hear. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Before it does, real quick, uh, where can people find you on the internet right now? What are your projects that you're doing these days?
3: Um, You can find me on uh, Twitter, although I don't recommend being on Twitter, honestly. No. It's a terrible <laughs> idea. Uh, but you can find me there at another L. I have a podcast that accidentally went on hiatus for a while, but it is uh, back now, or at least will be back by the time this episode comes out, and that is uh, Sword and Podcast. Yes. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. It's about uh, sword and sorcery and uh, sword and sandal movies. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I'm not writing professionally about wrestling, although I'm up for that if anybody's hiring. (laughs) Um, But you can find me on the bad website, Twitter, uh, live tweeting most AEW shows, or at least around liking uh, other people's tweets about. AW shows, depending on how verbal I'm feeling that night.
0: And aiding and abetting my weird tweets about like, no, no, OT3. If they're going to do this, they're gonna have to fuck Brian Danielson. It's the only ending I will accept.
1: Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much to L. Collins.
0: Yes, thank you so much. I learned so much. I appreciate you. Giving us more perspective on Enzo and Renee and on everything (laughs) and Kalisto, the underdog, all of it. It's been amazing. Thank you.
1: Uh, We're not going to take a bunch of your time on this particular outro, y'all, mainly because this episode is extremely long. And, it's a chonker. Um, well, I'm done editing it, which I'm not even done editing it yet as we <laughs> this. It's going to be very, very long. So we're going to wait one more episode before we get back into the Trios tournament. Uh, sorry about that, but just wet your appetites a little bit longer. That, of course, is the thing we do for patrons. If you are a patron and you go over to patreon.com slash NXTwrestlingfan, we appreciate you so, so much.
0: Yes, thank you so much. It means the world to us and it helps us make this show possible. So we value it a lot. And um, speaking of Patreon, if you want to go over to the Hard Choices Patreon, the mummy episode is up there right now. That is early access for folks who are patrons. And then also there's a new weird thing that I'm trying out that is exceptionally bizarre. So (laughs) if you want to, I will not talk about it here because it's too weird. But yeah.
1: Lots of stuff happening over on the Hard Choices Patreon. So if you are interested in listening to Bob and myself and several other extremely fun people talk about fictional characters they would like to fuck then that is the place to be.
0: You make it sound so tawdry, Miles. It's far classier than that, I assure you.
1: It It is not classier than that. I paid no, to be the one is, who
0: breaks it to you. Miles is a fool and cannot see what a classy <laughs> establishment I'm running here. But anyway. You are all running right, a problem, Megan all- Bob. <laughs> no it, it, this is this is a classy manor house <laughs> with people who just like to have a good time
1: <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening and we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan yeah. The next wrestling fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob with logo design by Claire Mulcairin.
0: Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo.
1: Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and Stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com.
0: We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us.
1: You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness.
0: The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best.
1: If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Do we know why Hideo Itami? I know he said it's a tribute to, like, a hero of his. I know
1: it means hero of pain.
0: Oh, I found well, that's a, a dope ass name.
1: I found the interview with him from 2014. They interviewed him right before his debut, I think, on the next episode. It's called From Gratitude to the Griddle. Oh, okay. Hideo Itami on NXT IHOP and adjusting to life in America.
0: <laughs> you said IHOP, I gotta ask. IHOP or Denny's?
1: Waffle
3: House.
0: Oh, because you, you got cool shit in the South. <laughs> I mean, we, we have Waffle House. IHOP. Here,
3: Denny's, but I'm gonna go to Waffle House.
0: I've never been to a Waffle House, but I, well, I come do to want town to go Bob. to a Waffle House. Maybe if you <laughs>
1: maybe next time you come to town, you won't need to do your foodie thing and like find good places to eat. We can go oh. to a Waffle House.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, uh, maybe maybe. <laughs> How good slash bad are their breakfast sausages?
1: Probably depends on the Waffle House, dude. <laughs> oh
0: really? Oh damn! <laughs> I don't. I don't like this random encounters table <laughs> with these fucking sausages. <laughs>